Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we got a really cool show with you. We're going to talk about the lending environment and what's going on today. It's actually changing, and there's one thing that I can tell you for certain, change is always going to happen. So, But when it does happen more rapidly, you want to be in the know, and this podcast is where you're going to get the information to be in the know. Before we get into that, though, Real quick, want to give out a shout out to Amy Robinette. She went to the Apple iTunes and left a five-star review. And so she said, Corey Peterson's experience and stories fascinate me. I adore this podcast because it is very authentic and you get a lot of value from it. So Amy, thank you so much for that little shout out. Guys, that's what we try to do. We try to be as authentic and bring in real people to this podcast each and every time. But So we're getting ready to get into it. Before we do that, though, a word from our sponsors. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. All right, we're back. So let me introduce my guest, Mr. Aaron Mull with Bercadia Finance. Uh, he's been in the business for, gosh, I don't even know. How long have you been in the business, bro? A little over 10 years. Okay, okay. I knew it was more than a two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Aaron is my good friend, does all my loans for me, is a Bercadia dust lender, also can broker out about anything that I've ever needed for loans, lending. He has a close tie to what's going on in the lending world. So Aaron, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Corey. It's good to be back. It's always good talking with you. Awesome. So what the hell's going on right now, man? Rates are going up. Yeah, it's been some turbulent times. As you mentioned, uh, and just for a quick backdrop for the audience here, you know, I spent a lot of time in multifamily specifically, and we touch pretty much all the lenders. The company I work for, Bercadia, is a dust lender. We've got Fannie Mae, Big shout out to us. We were number one Freddie Mac lender last year for 2021. So we're excited to grab the number one spot there with Freddie. And then we're usually a top three HUD lender year over year. I think we were actually four last year, but collectively we're the number one GSE lender in the space. So a lot with the agencies there. I do a lot of CMBS, debt fund, LifeCo, bank, you name it, rescue capital, pref equity, JV equity, everything in the stack to try to help out my clients, including yourself. And so we see a lot in the multifamily world. I only know one person, just put it that way, yeah. Right? Yeah, right? There's only one call to make for me. <laughs> well, we got to know quite a few people to call on your behalf to make sure we're getting you the best deal. And so we're keeping yeah. a pretty tight pulse on the market. And yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Things are changing. It was a really, really interesting year. And it almost kind of turned on a dime at the calendar turn of the year, entering from 21 to 2022 where just high level, 2021 was the year of the bridge. Everybody and their brother had found bridge money. You and I have done bridge before 2021. It was out there. And it was out there with quite a few different lenders, easily 100 lenders in the space. Affordable bridge too. Yeah. And I think 2021 became such a bridge market for a couple of reasons. Cap rates were very low. 
rents were high, but had a lot of meat on the bone. And so when you have that low cap rate environment and you're betting on the come, you're buying a low cap rate to get your rents up to achieve a more stabilized cap rate. It doesn't work so well for a Fannie Freddie execution or a permanent loan execution, right? So you may come to me and say, hey, I want to buy this deal. And given where the rents are today, as it underwrites today, maybe it's a 60 LTV or something. It's a big equity downstroke. But if you can go bridge and you can sell the story that you can renovate a little bit with those rents, now we're talking 80% of your purchase, maybe 85% of your purchase and 100% of your CapEx. It's tremendously more capital from the debt, a lot less equity, yeah. and it just penciled very, very well. So everybody figured that out and we did a ton of bridge. And then the inflation discussion started to happen and the Federal Reserve started to discuss really raising interest rates. I mean, not just a pipe dream, not just future discussion, but like it became very real. And I think people very quickly switched from bridge and floating rate to give me everything fixed rate that you can give me. So we've been been grabbing that. It's flipped on a dime now. Now it's like everybody's just like, no, I want fixed. I'm not betting on the future anymore. I want something seven years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Because how bad does it go? Because inflation right now, it's at probably, I don't, I don't know if it's an all-time high, but it's definitely feeling pretty crazy right now. The Fed made an announcement that they needed CPI to be, I think it was 7% in order to solidify their first rate hike. And lo and behold, it hit 7%. I think a lot of people would think if you just look around the world, Things have probably gone up a little bit more than 7% on average, but that's what they deemed the CPI index to be this year for the inflation adjustment. And I don't have a date. At some point in March, the Fed increased their funds rate by 25 basis points. And we saw effectively the next day, SOFR, which is our floating rate index we primarily use in the space, went up 25 basis points. And so the next discussion, the next Fed meeting is in May. They're talking about 50 basis points. And from there, they're saying anywhere between five to six more rate hikes, anywhere between 25 to 50 basis points a pop. I think given that they raised it in March, it's coming. They're trying to combat inflation, right? As best they can. And I mean, gosh, I remember the 80s. I always wondered, I'm like, yeah, are we going back to the 80s? <laughs> right. I don't know if the... I was just a little kid. Yeah. But what they paid in the 80s, now I'm not saying it gets that crazy, but it feels like we're on the same track. You know, we've got... I don't know. I mean, you're talking about rates... It is different, though. The high teens in the 80s. I mean, the SNL crisis in the late 80s, early 90s, you saw rates well above 15%. It was a mess. I don't know, right? I know what I know. It's hard to say. And so here's where I guess, you know, for everybody that's listening right now, this is where I think it is more important now to buy fundamentally sound deals than ever, right? Meaning that they can cash flow or that they have without too much work, a cash flow play option to it with the current debt structure that you have, right? Because when you can't cash flow, that's when things are going to go bad, right? When you can't make that debt service payment. And so you want to sit there and make sure that your deals will pencil. And I think it's more important ever, right? So, I mean, and fundamentally buying the right marketplaces, Right. So if there's jobs, because the other part, I was talking about wages a little bit. Talked about wages as much, right? Of course, they're still lagging, but wages are going up too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying to hire uh, property managers and I'm having to pay them way more than I'm normally accustomed to. And so I'm like, oh gosh, now I better like under start changing my underwriting model. Used to be twelve to thirteen hundred dollars a door for a normal multifamily. Now it's maybe fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred. 
because I got to be able to afford that property manager because everybody is in high demand. Yeah, everything's going it just up. feels that way. And you know better than I on a staffing side. I'm just the guy that looks at the numbers all day long. But I do think as an average, the payroll per unit that we see has crept up. Insurance has crept up. Real estate taxes. Oh, insurance has crept up so much, right? I had a 35% increase in insurance. Yep. Just, that was in my slide L property, but I'm like, oh my God. That was pre-COVID too. Insurance started to go up two years ago. It just keeps on going. Real estate taxes. And you have so many trades and so many people leaning in, buying a four cap or buying a four and a half cap, whatever, a two cap. I mean, some of these are really, really heavy value add deals. Those real estate taxes are going up, especially in disclosure states where those tax people can see what those trades really are. So those are up. I mean, advertising costs are up. But the other thing is rents are up. I mean, yeah. so there is some offset. There's the it. inflation part. I guess that's the piece that everybody's kind of maybe hedging on. And so there's something to be careful about in my mind, though. Rents are going to go up as much as they can. They won't come down, by the way. They're not going to come down. I don't think rents historically just don't come down. Once they go up, they stay up. They may go down a little bit, but they're not going down much, right? But there's so much squeezing you can do to a grape, right? And then there's just no more juice. And mm-hmm. <laughs> tell people to make more wage, they can afford stuff. So I think what's happening now, but here's the other side of that coin. Housing is becoming more unaffordable for more and more people. And so what are they doing? They're becoming renters. And this is like fundamentally supply and demand. That's what we're talking about here. And so all boats are rising because I believe we're under, there's not enough housing for affordable housing out there, right? For rents, for yep. rentable product, right? They stopped building. And when 2008, nine happened, like all builders stopped doing everything for a good amount of time. And we've just never caught back up. There are hard deals to put together. And you've seen the, the, the new product come online, which you're probably familiar with, Corey, is the build to rent, the BTR or the single family rental developments, but like Pulte homes and these big single family home goods, it's hard to come by those sorts of tracts of land that you can make work. And then their construction costs are just through the roof. Everybody's, it's going up, right? Yeah, big issues there with the supply chains on the building side. But yes, also to your point, like we've almost created renters in the space. You and I do a lot of student housing. Like that's a whole different conversation is I'm a big believer that all these kids that went to school, like when you and I went to school, living in single family homes that are basically falling over, that's what we were used to. So just getting a starter home right out of school made a lot of sense. And that's just kind of what we did. Now kids want hard surface countertops, granite, stainless steel, high finish, high amenities. And then you give them a $150,000 starter home that they have to fix up after living in granite and stainless. A lot of times they'll just pay the rent and move into a nicer apartment community after college. Yeah. It is really crazy how we condition people, right? Condition the deal. So I'm liking the student play right now too, by the way. So we do a lot of student. Aaron's been helping me finance. We're actually under contract on a $40 million deal right now that we are placing some debt for. Mm -hmm. We're actually getting pretty favorable terms. Mm -hmm. I mean, really happy with it. But here's my play on the, this is why I love students sometimes. Like no matter what the economy does, when your kid turns 18 or gets out of high school, and you're saying you're going to college, they're going to college. It's not like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm going to school. I'm going to college. I'll go get student loans. I'll go get whatever. Go get one of those loans that Obama's forgiven, right? 
It's supposed to be funnier. You're supposed to laugh. Is it Obama or is it Biden? Because I think Biden. I think. I mean, did I say Obama? Did I say Biden? <laughs> I'm sorry. I said Obama. Obama, yeah. Biden. Same. It's the same thing. Damn it. Dang, I had to pay mine back. I wonder when my check's coming. Nobody has a clue. Do I get yeah. a rebate? <laughs> How do you get on that? Yeah. How retroactive can you make that? <laughs> right. Right. I'm sure it's coming. But the, the reason why I love that space is because no matter what happens, man, it's like, well, there's still be kids going to school. And, and here's my thought. If the economy goes to crap, Let's say we get through this thing, and all of a sudden, here comes our crash, right? I think the industry student, right, college gets filled up more. Like, usually in worse times, I think enrollment in college goes up because everybody's like, oh, shoot, I got to retrain. I got to get better. I got to get this. I got to get a degree so I can be more competitive in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I think that's what happened. Well, that's what happened in the last major crash. We deemed student house in the recessionary proof asset class in multifamily because what we saw in 9, 10, 11 was student housing just grow tremendously and enrollment grow tremendously as people were trying to find work. They had to go get educated. So there's some statistics to show you that's why I'm so heavily in student. That's why I believe in it. But I also like just a regular apartment play too. I'm listen. Aaron, I didn't even talk to you about this, right? So we have a deal that we bought in Tucson. Remember the deal we financed there? Yep. Right? So then we bought that for like $7 million-ish, right? I'm not going to say the name of it. But where we're at right now, I think this is how crazy the market is. One year mark. I think we can sell that thing for the brokers. Like, I think we sell $14 million. Yeah. Hey, if you remember, I told you, you and I had a conversation that when you were looking at it, because it was one of your students that kind of brought you the deal initially. I'm like, Corey, yeah. this per unit at this location, it's a good one. It's going to be a winner. I think we're going to sell it. <laughs> good. Yeah. I'll talk to you offline what my prepayment penalty is for, I think we had a two-year loan on that, right? With a one-year extension or something. It'll be pretty painless on that one. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes, I mean, listen, there's opportunity out there. So the value for me is, so why do I have Aaron on the show is because I believe when you build your power team, like the people that are going to be on your team to do like good loans and get you all the stuff that's required. Having someone like Aaron is very pivotal to be a successful operator, I think. You want to talk to that, buddy? Absolutely. Sometimes we get painted with the dirty term broker. We're brokers, we're advisors, we're direct lenders, we're everything. We're just debt guys. And when I talk to Corey about any deal or anything like that, I'm not trying to jam him a Freddie loan or some loan that I think makes sense. I really just take a step back and ask him, what do you want to do? How long you want to hold it? Are you going to renovate it? Just understand what your thesis, what's your thesis as a developer or buyer? You always give me some options. And right? then we can cater the debt to your business plan and your goals. Every deal is different. Every market's different. Every real estate deal is different, but also every owner is different. And so it really just needs to take a step back about what the plan of action is and then go from there. And I want to even say this too, because like some people will say, well, Corey, we got our own in-house guy or like I have the contact with all these direct lenders, right? So I don't need an Aaron to broker anything. And I'm like, then I ask myself, okay, what's your time worth, right? Because you already have all, a lot of these relationships with these brokers or with these other, the banks, the lenders. I mean, dude, that's all you're doing all the time yeah. is finding new relationships, right? Do you want to, as an operator, be dealing with all that? To me, it's a mess. And then the paperwork and all the stuff. I always feel like it's way, the value I think Aaron adds to me, well, I know this, is that Aaron cues it up. He makes it sexy. 
and then he, he pitches and pits banks against each other. And yeah, I could do it myself, but listen, when an owner gets involved in any transaction, it's usually not as good as if someone else was doing it. Put it that way. Yeah, I think every lender's different, but I do honestly feel, and I know this is self-serving, that you're going to have a better result with someone advocating on your behalf. I promise you it is more than a full-time job. It's a full, full-time job to go pedal debt. And that's exactly what we well, do. Because you're not biased because the relationship's different, right? So you're working on behalf of me, the client, right? Yep. That relationship is different than because when you go to the bank, you're like, hey, listen, Corey's asked me to go get this and you need to come up another 25 bips yep. if you want to get our business. Or you need to cut this a little bit. Or you need to wiggle here. That's the little massage stuff. And I don't think I could get that myself because they're like, well, come on, Corey. It's a relationship. You don't know what to ask for either. I mean, if you're not in it every day, every minute of every day, you're not going to know that the other lender yesterday gave this sort of little tweak to a prepay or something. So you're pitting that against this current lender you're negotiating with and telling them that, that that's market. Yeah, It's a full-time job. If the audience is listening and you're trying to find a mortgage banker or a broker to work with, my advice is... Well, one, give me a call. But two, work with a big shop. Work with a shop that has a big brand name. Just find a good person within that brand because what Corey's saying is true. You're going to find a deal and there's going to be a listing OM or not if it's off market, but you're going to have an OM that's shiny. But we as bankers really need to take that and turn it into something better and show our lenders real facts, right? Real rent comps, real market data. Like We spend a lot of time painting a picture for our lenders as to why that loan makes sense. Well, and Bercadia is so big that you have the whole back end of analytics to get that information and put it in your team that works behind you is, I mean, Leah is the bomb in getting organized and get all our stuff done for it. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. Yeah, we try to make it easy. There's some red tape and some paperwork and some deals, but we try to just take that off your plate, complete a lot of the forms for you, and then have you review and fill in the things that we don't know. But filling in the property addresses and stuff like this, that just takes time. We'll do that stuff. But yeah, use a big brand because they're going to use all of the resources to make you look really good and make the lenders really want that deal and those brands. Here's the best part for what, what you do, Aaron. So I always say like, listen, every time you have, like you're doing a deal, it's like having a baby, right? And there's like delivery pains and delivery process. And I don't want to be in the delivery part of it. I just like, show me the baby, yeah. right? Let <laughs> me know about the baby. We have the baby yet, right? right? And so Aaron does all the labor stuff. I mean, gosh. We're dilated, I think. I'm like, let me know when we got the baby. <laughs> and so, and then he just gives me those, the big high level stuff. And I'm oblivious, honestly. Corey is oblivious. And I'm okay with it. Because this is what I've learned a long time ago. If you surround yourself with great people, great things happen. And like this morning. So now Aaron, not only is Aaron my lender, but he's my friend, right? I think it's important to say, let's do business with people that you know, like, and trust, right? And that you'd like 
want to go hang out with. And I would hang out with Aaron all the time. We do. I got to get you out here to get back in my Jeep. Yes, absolutely. But this morning we had a lender call, right? So, and in typical fashion, I may or may not have saw my calendar, right? Because I got, I'm getting ready to do my three-day event, right? So I was like, I've got stuff. And then all of a sudden here comes the text. Hey, Corey, come in on the call, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I sneak in there. I come in there about five minutes late. And Aaron and now my other BMF, and just if you guys know, BMF is bad, mother, mm, right? That's what Aaron is for me. And this is my other buddy, Wayne, Wayne Siegel, right? My attorney. The two of those guys usually handle about 90% of my stuff, right? So, like, that all happened. What happened to this morning? We took care of it. I mean, we did our lender kickoff, and <laughs> we told him, too. I was like, Corey's probably going to be late. It's no big deal. Let's get started. <laughs> I told him, we've done over 10 deals with Corey. We know what we need to get through. And the lender's like, okay, no problem. So, but then, yeah, it's, it's all good. So, but I think you're right. Like, Aaron but, already had my back from the get-go, <laughs> dude. So, yeah. and he already knows that I'm going to be about five minutes late. I swear to God, I mean to sometimes and I'm wrapping something up. And I'm like, I'm a rabbit in a rabbit hole, dude. I get my yeah. head put in stuff and I'm like, oh, there's a text. Oh, hold on. I got to hurt and jump on. <laughs> I did educate the lender that the BMF references for Pulp Fiction and Samuel Jackson's wallet. So I think that in itself just brought full circle for him. Yeah. And it was fun too, right? So fun. I was like, hey, because it was so funny because like the lender itself was, well, we got we need this with this. And he's like, I got that. You're like, Aaron's, I got that. And she's like, oh my God, like this is a professional. So I'm like, listen, I brought my A team. I got my BMFs here. And she didn't know what that meant for first. She's like, what? Am I missing something? <laughs> Yep. But now we're all cool. And honestly, Corey, seriously, because you let Wayne and I, you let us, and you trust us enough to run these things for you, which is great. It makes us, and I understand like we weren't doing this in the first one or two deals. It took some time to build that relationship. We've perfected the process, right? Yeah. We finally realized that Corey's not good at any of this stuff. He never makes it. Someone's got to be accountable. So it's like you and Aaron and Wayne are the ones that do it. And I just give, they already know. And then the great thing is, you guys play well together too. Like Wayne is really good, right? So that's another guy having a powerful legal. Aaron, you gave me that referral. Yeah, Wayne's a good, a good guy, a good egg, and just a very, very talented attorney. Doesn't waste time. Direct to another the point. Another BMF, dude. Oh my god. Another Detroiter like me, just uh, salt to the earth. Yeah, and here's what's funny, right? So Wayne, I love Wayne. So I know we're talking to you, but I'm gonna reference Wayne here on this one too. Wait, I'm trying to work on Slippery Rock. We're working on price reduction. Anytime you have to retrade, it's never fun, right? Like, I only try to retrade if there's a real thing to do. And so we kind of sent out the opening salvo. Mm -hmm. Wayne's like, yeah, yeah, me and the other attorney, we got a pretty good work relationship. I'll get it worked out for you, Corey. Just taking the lead on it, For a price reduction? Yes. <laughs> BMF. That's bro. not normal for attorneys to work. He's like, I'll get it dealt with. We'll get a handle. That's Bruce Wayne right there for sure. Dude, I'm telling you, he's like, Corey, because, and it's great because when you do enough business and, and guys, when you're listening right here, this is why it's important to stick with your team, right? It's not like we've got this good because we were just, oh, it's our first deal. We've done now multiple deals together. Where everybody kind of knows what to expect. And as they start to understand you, and the more times you close and transact and perform, all your team members see that, and their belief also goes up, right? So 
when Wayne talks, and Wayne already is like just like Aaron, an industry leader, been in the game for a very long time, very seasoned. So when you have seasoned people representing you and they believe in what you're doing, then Wayne's like, listen, this is a fact. Corey wouldn't come and retrade, and he's saying it with such surety. <laughs> so it really becomes an awesome thing of how you get things done and how it really works in the world is that your whole team can make this. Now, we both tag team and said, okay, I'll hit it from the broker end, and you hit it from the legal end, right? Yep. And we'll meet in the middle, right? Yep. So anyways, but you gave me that introduction, which is, again, I believe a lot of times it starts with your lender. Your lender knows everybody. Yeah. Oh, as far as yeah, where I sit. Yeah, I did a deal with yeah. Wayne. He was uh, working for a, a local borrower here in my market, and we were working on a big retail center. He was just great. So when you and I were chatting and we were talking about you getting somebody new, he just came to mind. You were my first intro to him. And since your intro, I've been I've introduced two more people to him. He's just, just a good attorney, yeah. good guy. Yeah, it's just the guy, mm-hmm. right? And so I give him the same leeway that I give you as Wayne. Like, I need you to tell me when I need to do, like, hey, because he goes to the red lines. We're like, ah, okay, well, that's not a big deal. And he knows now what my big hangups are, right? Yep. Of the things that I really want negotiated. And that's a big piece of it as well, knowing what you want, even like on our term sheets, right? So this is a great thing. We So this is how we've perfected our process. We used to get these term sheets. And listen, I mean, Aaron's in the lending space. Like, term sheets are done written in lawyer speak. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not always straightforward. And so what we've been doing now is we have Wayne go back and review our term sheet. And before we even agree to the term sheet, all of a sudden have some new language added in there that really helps us down the road when we're doing the actual loan documents. Yep. No, it helps. And again, it's kind of having that professional in the space. If I come or you as an owner operator come back to a lender and try to redline and mark up with legal language, a term sheet probably not going to have as much clout behind it as a lawyer, as your own counsel writing up that like, okay, so we're getting ahead of it. We're pre-negotiating. We're doing it with an attorney that's going to ultimately work on your loan documents anyway. So I feel like it gets a lot more accomplished having Wayne just get in front of it and trying instead of trying to recreate the wheel once they get the loan agreement when we're trying to close. Yeah, we've just been really successful in a lot of our outings that we've been doing. So it's been a pleasure working with your brother. So Anything new, like, I guess when we look at kind of the future in your crystal ball, what's, I know, I know. To talk about it, an odd time to open up the crystal ball. Get loans now? So I'll just talk about what we've seen in the last 60 days. One of the biggest things that comes to mind is we transitioned from a, I'm going to say index, which means an index is your treasury or your financial that you float over or swap over. So when we do a fixed rate deal with you know Fannie or Freddie, that's usually the 10-year treasury or seven-year treasury, whatever loan term, where banks will use like a five-year swap. Floating rates is done over Prime. It was done over LIBOR for a long time. It's transitioned to SOFR, specifically 30-day average SOFR. And that was like the gold standard. In the last 60 days, almost kind of quietly, all of the lenders have changed from 30-day average SOFR to term SOFR. And so we've been spending some time on that. And the best way that I can explain it is everybody and their brother believes that interest rates, especially floating rate, is going to go up. And that correlates pretty much directly to the federal rate hikes that they're discussing are coming down the pike. So what lenders did to get ahead of it to make more money, frankly, is they transitioned from 30-day average, which is looking backwards the last 30 days of what SOFR has been, to now looking forward. 
of what the analysts project SOFR to do. It's an index that exists. We can pull it every single day. But the difference is there is a discrepancy between 30 days ago and what the future is. And so one of the most prolific or standard companies in the space that does this stuff is a group called Chatham. And Chatham has put together, which is kind of like a Bloomberg, they put together an estimate of what they think SOFR is going to do over the next few years. So that's the term SOFR curve. And it's pretty daunting, Corey. I mean, it's showing about 150 basis points in growth by the end of this year. So by the end of 2022, if you're floating at 4%, well, Chatham thinks you're going to be floating at 5.5% in the next six months. And so it's a pretty big growth curve. And then another 60, 70 basis points a year from there. And then they're expecting inflation to finally catch up and start to, to go down. So we've been trying to just model folks to get through that, trying to find fixed rate money, trying to understand if you can't get fixed rate money, how quickly can you get to fixed rate money? Or again, we talk to our clients, are you in this thing for two years? If you're in it for two years and you don't want a bunch of prepayment, then maybe just pay the floating rate and, and let it go. So there's just a lot of conversations, again, around those goals and what people want. But six months ago, we did this stuff, floating rate all day, every day on value-add deals. And today we're trying to find gaps. I've got floating rates, right? So, but I think we're in a good spot with where we're transitioning. Like we transition a lot of our notes next year, but I'm okay with that, right? So, And you can only do what you can do. I mean, that at the time that floater was the way to go. Maybe you can adjust your business plan to try to scramble to get those renovations done sooner to convert to fixed yeah. or sell. But I think it's just in the market today, when you know that rates are going up, it's a little more eyes wide open as far as what what do you want to do with that? So floaters have been transitional. Fixed rates up. As I mentioned, fixed rate, we usually go over the treasury. You can Google what the treasury's done. It's been up 100 basis points over the last couple of months, which is not normal. We would typically expect the treasury to move maybe 8 to 10 basis points a month. And it's been moving like 20 a day in certain cases. So with that sort of volatility with the Ukraine war and with supply chain issues, with COVID issues, and just all kinds of global macro and microeconomical constraints and discussion points, it brings volatility and it's bringing volatility to the treasury. And so fixed rates are up because the treasury is up. We haven't seen the spread over the treasury really come in because people are trying to figure out what's going to be the future and what's going to happen with the war and pandemic and things like that. So all in all, rates have been creeping up, no doubt. Pandemic's over, right? They just let uh, that we can now fly on planes without the mask. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that video. I think a pilot announced it mid-flight with all the folks on the plane, like, hey, they just passed the rule that you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And people started cheering in the middle of the flight. So people just took the mask off while they were in the air. That's so awesome. Well, I mean, the one thing is certain is change is coming, right? So with change comes uncertainty, but there's still opportunities to go out and find good deals. So get out there, be a hunter and a gatherer, find a good team, someone like Aaron. Aaron, how do people get a hold of you and find you? Yeah, sure. My name's Aaron Mall. Last name's M-O-L-L. I'm at Bercadia. You can Google that. Phone number is 231-360-1840. And yeah, look forward to hearing from anybody that, that needs assistance. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend Aaron. He is one of my value team guys that helped me with tremendously on the deals that we do. And he's got a great team that he can help get you hooked up and locked in. So thanks for that, Aaron. Really appreciate that. Appreciate you, Corey. Guys, so listen, this crazy thing of multifamily, man, it's always moving. It's always changing. There's goods, there's bads, there's greats. I mean, 
you just never know. But I usually find if you buy and hold real estate and you hold it long enough, it really doesn't matter, okay? You're always going to probably come out ahead, right? I say that probably. It's always worked out for me. And so I'm thankful for this game, guys. But to get there, it starts with that first piece that you got to believe that you can, right? You got to believe that if you're at a 500 units, you got to believe that you can get to a thousand. If you're at a thousand, you got to believe that you can get two or three or four or whatever that belief is. It has to be so certain. You have to look at it and think about it daily, right? It is the way you accomplish anything is to first set in motion the belief. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible. Oh,